2: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Real Vision daily briefing. I'm Andreas Larsson, speaking on an almost historic afternoon. We are live on air Wednesday, the 15th of June, hot on the heels of the Federal Reserve press conference. We've had the first 75 basis points hike since 1994, ladies and gentlemen. Jay Powell got on stage today with a very firm initial statement that inflation is everything that matters. Uh, But we actually have interest rates down a bit after this statement. So um, is the Fed finally getting ahead of the inflation curve? To debate this with me this afternoon, I have invited Joseph Wang, also known as the Fed guy. Uh, And in my humble opinion, he's one of the best Fed watchers out there. What a tremendous timing to have you with us this afternoon, Joseph. Welcome
1: to uh, the show. Thanks so much, Andreas. Thank you for inviting me. Excited
2: to be here. Uh, let's have a look at it. Um, three quarters of a percentage point delivered today, uh, the first time since 1994. I basically think no one dared to think about that just a few weeks ago. What do you make of this FOMC meeting and the rhetorical stance of Jay Powell initially here?
1: Yeah, it, it was pretty pretty exciting, right? 75 basis points. Now, when I, w- if you asked me Monday morning, I would say 50 basis points for sure. Because the way the Fed works is that it never surprises the market. So it was guided to market to about 50 basis points. And so I expected them to have done that. But something happened uh, Monday afternoon. So Nick Timoreos of The Wall Street Journal, who's like a Fed insider, basically, broke a story saying, hey, you know, guys, maybe I'm going to do 75 basis points. So this is kind of how the Fed works. Again, because the Fed doesn't want to surprise the markets, if it wants to do something that it thinks the markets are not fully prepared for, then they'll kind of call their sources in the media. Nick is a very good uh, source for the Fed. And they'll break it to the to, to the market. And so once that story broke, 75 basis points was basically fully priced into the market. And that became uh, everyone's expectations. And Paul ratified that. I thought Powell gave a, a pretty good press conference. I, I felt that I saw someone who was, I think, uh, very earnest in finding inflation, understands the problem, is willing to do whatever it takes. I think in contrast to many other central bankers around the world, his performance was, was very good. So uh, I'm glad to see that. I think his, his speech is, I mean, his projections and his speak, press conference was very interesting. And I, and I guess we'll unpack it as we go along. Definitely, we will. Uh, Powell received a lot of
2: questions uh, on the change of stance from going with 50 basis points uh, to now 75 basis points a meeting. Uh, he also received a few questions on whether that was a credible way to change the stance that quickly. What do you make of that debate and the questions you've received on the credibility side of that uh, move?
1: Now, I'm always a bit iffy when people talk about Fed credibility. I mean, is it really Fed credibility that keeps down inflation? Because everyone thinks that the Fed is going to do something to keep inflation lower, thus inflation becomes low. I mean, when you poll people in the public, most people have no idea what the Fed does. So I, I don't really, I, I, I don't really look at it that way. Um, but I think it's really good that he's becoming very aggressive. Uh, the way, if you just look at inflation at you know eight percent, and the federal funds rate, you know, below one percent, and just uh, just about at about you know one point five today. After today, so it's it's still very low. I think what you want to take away, what I took away from this meeting, just looking at the projections, is an impression that the Fed is taking this very seriously. And the way I look at this, and uh, is how they view where the stance of policy is relative to their neutral rate. So the Fed looks at the markets, through, at the economy through the lens of the neutral rate, where if you're above the neutral rate, you're being restrictive. And if you're below the neutral rate, you're being accommodative, the neutral rate being the rate at which the economy is neither growing or shrinking. So if you think of the the past few meetings, Paul was always talking about, I want to get to neutral. I'm going to get to neutral. Now, through the dot plots, um, he's making a very strong commitment that he's going to go above neutral. so John Turek on Twitter made this great point. So if you look at where PC inflation is, and you look at where they believe neutral to be, which is about 50 basis points, next year and the year after, it looks like they're going to be about 80 basis points above neutral So in nominal terms. So that's mm-hmm. going to be a pretty restrictive monetary policy that they haven't really uh, reached to in quite some time. And frankly, I'm not really sure that's going to be enough. That's still just above under 4%. And inflation is still pretty high. So It could be even higher depending on events unfold, but at least in this time through their dot plot, they have a very strong commitment to raise monetary policy above what they perceive to be neutral.
2: If we look at the dot plot, I think this is a very interesting theme after today's press conference. Uh, They intend to go to levels just south of 3.5% by year end. Uh, And if we take the 12 month change of that level by year end, it will actually lead to the most aggressive. 12-month uh, interest rate hiking cycle since the mid-80s. Do you think that pace is quick enough, or will they have to go even faster? I,
1: th- I think until you... So your chart is amazing. So it does show that it's a super super aggressive hiking cycle. Um, I think if you hike too fast, you're, you're going to break something. right? So you have to be able to get to where you want to get to as quickly as you can without breaking something. From going from now to let's say you know three and a half by year end might involve another seventy five. Definitely involves a few fifties. So historically, that that's quite rapid. I think that that's probably as fast as you can go. If you want to go, if you want to take it uh, even further, you're going to have to do it over a longer period of time. So I think you know where we're pricing in at at year end. That's probably as fast as they could they could go without breaking something. Um, yeah. These are already very big moves as, as your chart <laughs> shows,
2: right? For for the next meeting, uh, he essentially kept the door open for another debate on whether to hike 50 basis points or 75 basis points. And it seems as if to me that they will allow the next couple of uh, inflation releases, both in terms of expectations, but also actual inflation to decide for them in terms of whether to, to go ahead with 50 basis points or 75 basis points. Powell had a very interesting remark relating to headline inflation. Because he essentially focused a lot on gasoline prices and headline inflation. Do you think that they are now targeting headline CPI instead of PCE? You know, um, uh, PCE is usually their target. What What do you make of that debate?
1: Yeah, that's, that, I also caught on to that comment, Andreas. That was really interesting. So Paul mentioned, what Bell was asked, you know, you're targeting inflation, which are you targeting, He's core inflation or CPI? And he was like, CPI. And if you link that with another comment he made, Basically, that you know he's very concerned about inflation expectations and inflation expectations are formed off of you know headline Cpi and not core inflation, then then you have to put together some kind you have to come and kind of come to the conclusion that in some ways he will be thinking about cpi when he when he's when he's adjusting monetary policy uh, because inflation expectations is super important to them, and if inflation expectations are dependent upon headline CPI, then you kind of have to indirectly target that. Um, If you think back to to when he was asked why he did 75 instead of 50, he talked about the hot CPI print last week. But he also talked about data showing that inflation expectations appear to be coming unanchored. And remember, when you're trying to understand the Fed, you have to think from their perspective. From their perspective, inflation's expectations is a really, really big part in what determines actual inflation. So when they see inflation expectations becoming, as they would say, unanchored, they freak out. And so they immediately did 75 this time around. Okay. And if, as he noted, CPI is you know feeds into inflation expectations, then I think, as you're hinting, it seems like he might have to be targeting CPI. And that's going to be really hard, because as, as Powell has reiterated many times in that press conference, there's a lot of things happening in the economy. And that's really not all up to him, right? So he can control demand a bit. Uh, there's a lot of other stuff, like you know, commodity supply constraints that, that he doesn't have control over. And unfortunately, stuff like that has a big impact on headline CPI, like, for example, gasoline. Yeah, and I, I
2: want to pick your brain on that exact topic because Powell kept reiterating that a lot of factors are currently beyond the control of the Federal Reserve. Take the example of the commodity supply side issues, uh, the high gasoline prices, etc. Do you think that's a way of preparing the public for a potential dark fall when it comes to growth? Uh, is it Fed speak of saying that there
1: is a recession risk? If you look at their projections, they're projecting unemployment to rise. So so I, there is some suggestion of that. So. Okay, I look at it this way: the Fed has to, Fed's job is inflation, but it, inflation is really not all up to them, unless they're they're really really willing to um, let's say, hike rates excessively, in severely cramp demand. So the Fed has the power to bring everyone into a ginormous depression, right? So they can just hike rates a hundred basis points. Oh, no, sorry, a thousand basis points. And uh, you know we, we'll be living in caves, right? All the markets will crash, and then we'll have no more inflation. We'll have massive deflation. Mission accomplished. Um, so they they always have that, but they don't, they don't want to do that. There are policy levers that the government can pull, but it's it's not really within the control of the Fed. For example, if you think of uh, think about the Congress and the White House. Um, one of the one of the big policy levers they could immediately pull is to just lift russian sanctions right so any policy choice has costs and benefits again this is a political decision sanctioning russia obviously is it's you know we want to punish people who are bad actors in the world but on the other hand uh, the people who pay the price for that are uh, people in let's say africa who millions may starve to death because of higher food prices and many poor people in america who have trouble affording gas So this is a policy choice, but it's also a lever that they could pull immediately to tame inflation. Unfortunately, it's not Powell's call. The only thing Powell can do is manage aggregate demand.
2: We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision daily briefing.
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.
2: I want to pick your brain on a very specific topic that Powell kept uh, talking about uh, through the press conference. Because, in terms of the debate on whether the Fed Reserve can actually pivot or pause, sometime this year or early next year. Um, in relation to that uh, debate, he kept saying that the Fed will have to see compelling evidence of inflation slowing down first. And he actually became very concrete on that question, referring to the month over the month rate on inflation. Uh, unpack this uh, debate for us and what you make of the comments that Paul uh, made on, on on this
1: topic. Yeah. So Paul first talked about this, I think a couple of weeks ago. He set forth a clear and convincing standard. Now, for those of you who aren't lawyers, clear and convincing is the second highest proof of standard you have. The most highest being a beyond a reasonable doubt, which is what they would use in a murder case trial. Clear and convincing is what they would use in other trials. And that's basically that it's highly reason, highly likely that, you know, to be true. So this clear and convincing standard today was further clarified, uh, in his talk, and as you noted, Andreas, he wants to see a series of declines in CPI to make sure that inflation is under control. And the thing is, it, it doesn't look like it's going that way. right? So when we when we spoke with Powell today, Powell said that his motto suggests that, that CPI last week would have been lower, or at least about the same, but it actually is going in the wrong direction. So he's not getting his clear and convincing inflation moderation, and I, I'm not sure if he will because you know, if you look at where, where commodity prices are, where gasoline seems to be going higher, oil prices seem to be continuing to go higher, uh, that, that doesn't look like it's going to going to moderate in the coming months. So we might actually see CPI continue to increase, and if that's the case, we would have to adjust our expectations for monetary policy. Uh, remember, the Fed looks at monetary policy through the lens of the neutral rate, And that's the real rate plus inflation. If inflation is higher than expected then the nominal neutral rate is going to be higher than expected. And so going forward, those dot plots are going to go even higher. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Um, this
2: is, of course, a debate on semantics, because I noted that he uh, referred to the sentence, a series of declining monthly prints of inflation. What does a series mean in this sense?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's just... He wants to see it keep going down. He wants to, <laughs> it, it has to look like Bitcoin, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's like he mentioned though, it's it's not going to be his call. There's a lot of things here that are beyond his control. So if you look at inflation, part of it's demand driven. Obviously, we have tremendous amounts of fiscal stimulus and low rates driving a housing boom. That's what he can control. The other part though is supply-driven. There is you know, in fact, fewer commodities available now uh, because of the sanctions on Russia. And you know, that's a lever that the the executive or the White the White House or Congress has to pull. Uh, this is this is really unfortunate because inflation is the Fed's responsibility, but he doesn't have all the tools to do it. Um, one thing that the White House could easily do is it could lift sanctions on Russia. You know, of course, this is a trade off. It would help Russia's war effort, but on the other hand, it would also help. Uh, poor people in America and millions of people in Africa who may starve. So it's a trade-off that people have to make. So um, it's, But it's not Powell's choice to make it. He can only do one thing, that's manage aggregate demand. And uh, if he were to faithfully carry out his task to bring inflation to 2% in a world where supply chains are constrained, that means much lower aggregate demand. And that means uh, probably a meaningful recession. Sadly so. Um, In terms of the market
2: reaction, uh, it seemed as if the market had actually baked this interest rate hike in to to market prices ahead of the meeting today. Uh, But if we look forward a bit here, um, do you think the market is ready for what's upcoming from the Federal Reserve? No, I don't think it's
1: ready at all. Paul had got a question about quantitative tightening, right? Mm. The question was whether or not the Treasury market could handle it giving the low liquidity. And as we all know, listen, last Friday, we saw the 10-year go up 28 basis points. That's not normal. That is what happens when you have low liquidity. And there's very, very low liquidity in the Treasury market. As a whole, the Treasury market is growing a lot, a lot bigger than the underlying cash volume cash market can support. So, just as a statistic, 20 years ago, so the treasury market, you know, private marketable treasuries was about seven trillion dollars outstanding, and on average, the daily cash volumes were about 400 billion. Okay, fast forward to today, the net uh, private marketable treasuries are about 23 trillion, so it went from seven trillion to 23 trillion, but the cash market only went from 400 billion to 600 billion. So, it's it's not scaling. With respect, it's it's like a stadium that gets bigger and bigger, but the doors you don't build any more doors. So in this situation, you're going to have weird disallocations, and QT has the potential to exacerbate that. He was fairly dismissive of it. We have Governor Waller saying that you know, two and a half trillion dollars in QT equals to about 50 basis points in tightening. You know, I, I suspect that would you know that remark would be become legendary and live in the hall of fame with inflation is transitory. So I think there's some major disruption here. One is that, you know, you have marginal buyers. Fed is out of the market, commercial banks are. are You're gonna find new buyers, new higher prices. And also, um well there's just a whole lot of issuance coming up. QT plus um uh, deficit, it's about a one and a half trillion dollars. So I, I think that he's he uh We'll, we'll see. But I think it might be surprising to, to the Fed. We've got a bunch of
2: great questions uh, also related to the debate on quantitative tightening. Uh, one from Adam here, uh, which is a very, very good question. Is it actually possible to measure the tightening in basis points when it comes to the balance sheet tightening and the quantitative tightening process? What is $1 billion worth of
1: tightening in basis points? <laughs> Uh, Well, the Fed could give you a motto that'll give you an answer that will certainly be nonsense. So the Mm. way that I think about this is, you know, when you're talking about markets, it's not a science. Uh, When when you're doing the scientific method, you're looking for relationships that are persistent across time, you know, like gravity. If I drop an apple here or drop an apple in London, it falls at 9.8 meters per second squared today and 100 years ago. But when you're talking about the markets, there's a lot of moving parts, regime changes, things like that. There is no constant relationship. Some models are not useful. It's always a question of judgment, and I don't think we can just boil it down to basis points. It's something that we'll we'll find out as we go. Um, you know, crazy monetary policy has has weird repercussions, right? For example, uh, what's happening with the BOJ and what's happening with the ECB uh, in their emergency meeting today, right? They they seem to be dealing with uh, some holes in the monetary policy framework they have.
2: Yeah, let's touch upon the ECB quickly as well, because uh, they uh, essentially called for an emergency meeting earlier today uh, addressing the uh, market turmoil that we've seen in European bond markets. Uh, And one of the things that we've, uh, of course, um, seen in in markets over the past few weeks is a a massive widening of the spreads between Italian bonds and German bonds. Uh, I'm I'm, uh,
1: personally situated in the northern part of the... Massive is a massive is like I think it's 150 basis points, right? if you think back to the European sovereign debt crisis, that's massive. It seems like they're super sensitive. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, we we are not at two thousand
2: and eleven levels yet, um, and I put emphasis on the word yet because I basically <laughs> don't think that they stopped the bleeding with the meeting that they um, that they hosted today. Um, essentially, they have no news for us. Uh, they 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 tell us that they're working on some sort of backstopping mechanism. Um, but we don't really know the details yet uh, so, so, what's your take on it? will will they actually present a new
1: Q e program for us? So right now, I think the standing the standing um program the standing modus of way they're operating, as detailed by Isabel Schnabel, is that so they bought a whole bunch of stuff during the pandemic, right? Now, when that stuff matures, they can reinvest it into let's say more talented to uh, narrow the spread. So instead of just printing more money and buying stuff, they're just using the existing money they already created and reallocating it towards more of the periphery. And, you know, Andreas, I, I suspect that that might not be enough either. And I'm also surprised that they would do this meeting suddenly. I mean, why? I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, they must be really, really worried about what's happening. Uh, and doing at the same day as the Fed, maybe they were scared that the Fed would do something that would blow out their spreads, and so they would have to respond immediately. I, I'm not sure. Usually, though, there is some degree of coordination between the Fed and the ECB. Um, it could just be that just beforehand, no one knew how the markets would react to what the Fed was going to do. And just in case, they, they thought they should get ahead of this. Uh,
2: we've received a question from Tim uh, on uh, the exact topic of spreads, uh, but not European bond yield spreads, but uh, high yield spreads in the US. Uh, he's concerned that we will see a further increase in spreads as a consequence of the Federal Reserve tightening the balance sheet and hiking interest rates. Do
1: you concur with that assessment? Absolutely. That's the whole point of tightening, right? You Ooh. want to tighten financial conditions, equity prices down spreads widen. That's what the Fed wants to do, and they're going to keep hiking until they see that.
2: Yeah, F- plain, plain and simple. Uh, the question here is whether the QT process is already baked into prices
1: and in, in, in credit spreads. Uh, I doubt it personally. Do you have a view on that? I, I agree with you, Andreas. This stuff, like I mentioned earlier, it's not a science. It's, it has to do with a lot of judgment, a lot of context. And the thing is, I, I don't see how you could possibly price what a two trillion extra. Okay, so not two trillion, one and a half trillion a half trillion extra per year in uh, treasuries are. Who's going to buy that? Who's going to finance it? Um, what's happening in the world then? What happens when there's less liquidity? Because QT doesn't just increase the supply of treasuries, but it's also drawing liquidity out of the banking sector. So these are these are questions that it's very hard to know beforehand. So um, yeah, it's, I can't quantify it, and I don't. Think anyone can. And if you can't know beforehand, it's really impossible to price in. Uh, In relation to this topic on bond yields, we've seen
2: speculation against the Bank of Japan. And I think this is maybe. An important story that could unfold over the coming, let's say, two to four weeks, because they are still defending the 10-year point on the yield curve in Japan. Uh, They are basically bringing an aircraft carrier to a knife fight. They are buying everything they can, right? Uh, But do you think that they can continue to do so in this
1: global yield environment where interest rates are going up? No, no, no. That, what, what's happening there is amazing. And Weston at Real Vision has done amazing work following it. So like you mentioned, Andreas, they have a peg for the 10-year JGB at 25 basis points. Everyone in the world is hiking rates, even the ECV. And <laughs> how, can you, how, how can you actually manage that? And what's being the release valve is the currency. And you see the yen massively depreciating, against the dollar going past 135 recently so sooner or later there's going to be political uh, it's going to be some political problems there because the people in Japan are going to not like their purchasing power eroded they import a lot of stuff right they import uh, oil and other commodities and that's going to feed through their system and cause inflation so eventually there's going to be a political choice to be made you know, Kuroda-san, you got to stop depreciating our currency, and they're going to have to reset the peg, the yield curve control peg higher. I don't know where, maybe fifty, maybe seventy-five basis points. But when they do that, though, it's going to push global bond yields higher because global bond yields—they're they're all kind of tied together, right? A big pension investor in Japan can invest in JGBs or treasuries or, or uh, you know, European sovereign bonds, and when they have higher rates in Japan. It's going to affect the relative value trades in other bond markets. So it's going to reverberate globally. And I think that's a next leg higher for yields. Um, you know, I suspect it could happen soon because, well, the, the yen just can't keep going on like that forever, right? If Someone has to put a stop to it. So it's becoming disorderly.
2: We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Uh, You've talked about um, the need for issuance of treasuries uh, and the lack of a buyer uh, of the Federal Reserve. Um, There's a question from Lee um, related to that, because he basically asks you, uh, Joseph, whether the US Treasury and the Federal Reserve at all coordinates the issuance plan and the QE program uh, slash QT program. Uh, Do they talk to each other? Absolutely.
1: They talk to each other all the time. It's very close. Um, but in terms of just concretely being like concrete coordination, like oh, I'm so I'm going to issue all this stuff. I'm going to do QE, so you can issue all this stuff. I don't think it's that explicit, but the Treasury very obviously takes into account the Fed's decisions when they want to issue. Uh, what you ask, what you actually notice is that when the Fed is doing QE, Treasury tends to lengthen their maturities. Obviously, I mean, they want to be smart, right? If you have the Fed buying, well, you should issue longer data debt because it's uh, you know relatively cheaper. The uh, term premium is actually negative sometimes. So, Treasury and Fed coordinate very closely. But I don't think it's to the level that they would just you know, Fed says I'm going to do QE and they immediately do that, or they say that we're going to do something to neutralize QT. I don't think it works at that specific level. But broadly, there's you know frequent discussions that. Every level between the Fed and Treasury.
2: We've received another great question from uh, Gregory uh, asking about forward guidance. Uh, you said initially uh, in tonight's show that uh, you essentially think that the Fed don't want to surprise us uh, to to any large extent. But Gregory is asking whether we don't need a surprise right now. Would, wouldn't it be better to surprise us all?
1: No, no. The the Fed really, really likes forward guidance. It's a very powerful tool, because it allows them to control interest rates up to the five-year tenor. Um, So for example, the Powell can say today, for one year, I will hold rates at 1%. And in two years, I'll hold rates. And then after that, I'll hold rates for 2%. And after that, I'll hold rates for 3%. And that would immediately be reflected into the yield curve right? because he's credible. And he likes being able to control a, a range of interest rates up to the belly. Um, if he were to back out of that and start trying to surprise the markets, then his forward guidance would not be as impactful because people would think maybe he does something different to surprise the markets. So he wouldn't have as much control over interest rates as he would otherwise. And that control is very, very valuable to the Fed. So they they wouldn't surprise the markets to give that up. Not even to get
2: tighter financial conditions immediately?
1: Uh, Well, I mean, if you want tighter financial conditions, you can just give, you know, tighter forward guidance, right? Just say that I'm just going to hide grace very, very grace. I'm going to do a hundred every meeting and you, you will get all as tight as you want. (laughs)
2: <laughs> that's a that's a very fair point.
1: When we sum this all
2: up, uh we have the European Central Bank trying to hike interest rates even though they have this loophole option um, on on buying Italian uh, bond bonds in uh in the QE program. We have the Federal Reserve now hiking 75 basis points a meeting probably. Uh, and then we have the risk of Bank of Japan allowing the 10-year point to go up. Is there Anything speaking against higher long
1: bond yields right now? I, I I don't I don't think so. I think it, this is just an unprecedented well for me unprecedented because I've lived in a world of Kiwi and low interest rates yeah. uh for since since I began looking at this stuff. So we have a coordinated tightening among all the world's central banks. Eventually, as you as you suggested, Andreas, the VOJ will have to get with the program as well. So um that this has never happened before, and you know I suspect that uh, many people will be surprised by what this means to all their asset prices. Um, you know, coordinated easing made all the asset prices go to the moon. Coordinated tightening, I probably does the opposite. Yeah. So, so we'll see. There's like Paul mentioned. There's a lot of things happening in the world that that could change that. We could have you know, we could discover new sources of energy. We could have the war end, but. But uh, as as things are currently on track, it looks like we're entering a new world, and the world of easy money is over.
2: Let's remind our audience of the
1: schedule ahead
2: on quantitative tightening. As far as I'm concerned, it actually starts more or less right now as we're
1: speaking, right, Joseph? Today. Today, uh, yeah. yes. So, <laughs> so the way that this works is the Fed uh, basically you know, created money and purchased bonds, and then when it gets when it gets those bonds that purchase are repaid, then it shrinks its balance sheet. So QT technically happens on days where the Fed gets repaid. And that's middle of the month, like today, and also the end of the month. And we're going there's a three-month ramp-up period. And eventually, the Fed will be at full tilt, which is uh, $60 billion in treasuries a month and $35 billion in mortgages. So that, that's basically, it will, it will never get to full, full tilt. So it will always max out its treasuries at $60 billion a month. It won't always max out its mortgages, probably to 25 a month. The 35 cap is too high for, for what the Fed will get repaid in. And uh, that's going to be chugging along. And at the same time, you'll have the IRP steadily increase, maybe to $3 trillion by the end of the year. That's also sucking liquidity out of the financial system. So you have triple tightening, Fed raising the front end. You have Qt raising the back end, and you have, uh, you know, Qt and the RFP sucking out, sucking out liquidity. So it's very aggressive. Something will break. Don't know when, but something will. It always does. Yeah, not
2: a pretty scenario for risk assets. Uh, I always want to conclude the Real Vision Daily Briefing with a meme. I'll make this my trademark as the host, and uh, the meme today refers to the European Central Bank emergency meeting earlier today. <laughs> I'm, I, I work in asset allocation in Europe myself, and we saw the news uh, on Financial Times that they called for this emergency meeting. But after this meeting, we essentially all concluded, could you just have sent us a mail? I mean, <laughs> nothing newsworthy by the end
1: of the day. Uh, it was just a paragraph too, right? That, that was their summary. It was just a paragraph. Yeah. And they went 40 minutes over, so it was it was not necessary. No, it simply
2: wasn't. Joseph, it's been a pleasure to speak to you this afternoon. Thanks for, for joining.
1: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure being here.
2: Uh, and thank you all for watching the Real Vision Daily Briefing. We will be back tomorrow with more action. Uh, Maggie Lake will host the show and Darius Dale will join as the guest. See you again tomorrow.